most of the people in the developed world are trying to be like these people. They're busting their asses. They're like working nine to five. They're doing all this work to achieve that. And I saw the end goal and I'm like, whoa, these people own sports teams, countries, islands, like they're mixing with royalty and the elite. And they have some serious struggles that really lay people are struggling with as well. So I I saw a sort of wealth as this, a little bit as this trap. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Feeling Full podcast. I'm Mordechai, an entrepreneur and coach who struggled with being overweight for nearly two decades. But since 2012, I've lost 130 pounds and have kept it off. Join me and my guest today to discover how it's possible and even simple to lose weight with ease without going on crazy diets and without doing intense workouts. If you're ready to give up quick fixes and fad diets and build a fulfilling relationship with your body and food, then this show is for you. Today, our guest is my friend, James Colhoun. James and I met a couple years ago at a dinner with 50 leaders in the health and wellness industry. We sat down for dinner, and before you know it, they were closing up the restaurant. You can say the conversation was really good. James is a filmmaker and has produced some of the most epic health films like Transcendence 1 and 2, the documentaries Hungry for Change, and the film Food Matters, where it all started. James has dedicated his life to uncovering the real truth behind nutrition and natural healing, and it's been a wild journey. Early on, James studied to become a ship's officer, thinking navigating ships would make for a fun, successful career. After years of studying, James was traveling the world with some of the most successful, wealthiest people, and he realized that something just wasn't right, something wasn't adding up. Some of the people around him seemed to have it all, but were often struggling with their health and happiness. So James, along with his wife, Laurentine, decided they were going to pursue what they believed looked like health, reaching out to people who seemed to live healthy, happy, vibrant lives. They documented these interviews with the hopes they can share and inspire people to upgrade their beliefs and change their lives with this new information. One thing led to another, and a documentary, Food Matters, was born, impacting millions of people and practically saving James's dad's health and helping him lose 50 pounds. I feel lucky to call James a friend and really inspired by the way he chooses to live his life in service of others and always generously sharing the things that he's learning for everyone to benefit from. You can follow James on Instagram. His handle is james.food.matters. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It is so great to have you um, with me today. I'm really excited for this conversation, James. (laughs) Mm, Same. So, you know, I know you're in a really interesting place right now and you got some um, interesting things going on. I'm really excited to jump right into them all. But can you just kind of set this scene for us? Where are you? What are you doing? And what are you up to? Okay. I'm currently in Bali in Indonesia, the island of the gods, as they call it, or goddesses, I think would be more politically correct. Prior to this, I'd spent 10 months in Vanuatu which is a small tropical island in the Pacific between Fiji and Australia, where I've been living uh, with my family for the sort of on and off for the past three and a half years. And prior to that, I was in the US when uh, the big global show started. Yeah. So that's where I am. That's awesome, man. How are things right now in Bali? Things are good. I mean, it's an amazing place to be right now. There is a bubble here. I guess, you know, like in the US, there's bubbles, like Venice Beach is a bubble, like a, a Santa Monica and the rest of the, the US could be going through some turmoil and nobody knows about it there. Vanuatu is a bit of a bubble in that it's so geographically isolated from the world. It's one of the only COVID free countries in the world. Then in a way, Bali is a bubble in Indonesia. I mean, it's a large population in Indonesia. One, I think third or fourth largest in the world, 300 plus million people. I think eclipsing North America or the United States of America. 
And in Bali is, is the bubble of, of Indonesia. And then Chenggu Pereranan is the bubble of Bali. But if you go to the big tourist locations, it's, it's, it's empty right now, I guess, like, like most of the world. So, but it's, it's beautiful to be here. There's a lot of conscious people. There's a lot of people in nutrition, health, yoga, breath work, conscious transformation. It's like a bit of a mecca. And I feel at home with those people. So it's nice to be here. Yeah, I've never, never made it out there. I always wanted to. You know, I loved when I, I reached out to you and you're like, um, you were like, you set the stage and you're like, well, hey, I'm out here doing all this work. I'm thinking about the next, you know, 10, 15 years. And I, I was really inspired when I, when I heard that just because I love that you've always been somebody with a really big vision. You know, you, you, when I spoke to you a couple of years ago and we met, you, the, the way you were talking about the vision that you had after, you know, Food Matters and Hungry for Change and the things that you were working on, it was really inspiring. And I'm curious what your process is right now as you think about the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, thank you, brother. And, uh, you know, I have found a really beautiful connection with you as well and so grateful to know you. And I really have only learned all these things from great people. I mean, I'm nobody and I've just surrounded myself with excellent people. And I think one of the common threads that I found is that it's important to clear your slate in order to reset how you think before moving forward. And I, I think this applies so much when it comes to nutrition as well. People will say, oh, you know what? I know what my body needs. It needs a Coca-Cola and a Mars bar. And I'm like, no, dude, that's your bacteria craving that on your behalf. If you do a cleanse and you come out of a cleanse, that's the last thing you crave, right? And I think in the world, it's the same. If we live in these environments where people are driving Lamborghinis and working in, in the stock market or going to jobs with suits and ties on, that's what we want because it's what we see. But we very rarely clean our slate in our physical body and we very rarely clean our mental slate in order to determine what is the pure essence of what drives us forward, what gets us up in the morning, what inspires us. And when you go through transformation, that becomes clearer. If you fast or cleanse or lose a lot of weight or transform your life or have some transformative spiritual experiences, you get a deeper insight as to what is your, in essence, your purpose or sankalpa or this, this vision for what it is that you're here to do, if, at least if you're trying to make some semblance of a sense around your existence. Not, not that you completely need to answer that question, but in terms of like, how do you want to apply yourself day to day after you feed yourself, clothe yourself, brush your hair, walk out your front door? It's like, okay, what's next, people? I think that that's an important thing to ask because otherwise we let those decisions be made for us by the environment. So the purpose for this trip is, you know, the last 15 years I've been really busy no, I've been very productive. I don't like the word busy. I've been very productive in building out a concept to help liberate people from suffering. And that's been primarily around helping reduce their reliance on the medical system, on the healthcare system, taking their power back, understanding that their body is a supremely powerful healing machine and helping give them tools and techniques to be able to do that in a free capacity and then in a paid capacity if they upgrade to certain programs, products, subscription sites, whatever it might be. And if they do upgrade, and do this exchange of, of money, finance, energy, capital, then I use that to invest in other ideas to help more people. So it's almost like a for-profit but philanthropic venture. And so doing that for 15 years has been amazing and offered me some incredible opportunities and connections. And I feel really connected to that purpose and making five sort of this, the fifth feature film doc series thing is, is coming out this year. And I guess I just reached an inflection point in my life personally, where I was like, wow, that's a fair chunk of time to devote to a mission and I fully stand by it still, but what is next for me? 
if I can do that in 10 to 15 years, what else could I do in another 10 to 15 years? And could I do it with more grace, more effortlessness, more ease, and even make a bigger impact? And so I, I, I realized that in, in a physical sense, detox and cleansing can offer you the opportunity to reset how you approach food. So I wanted to focus more on a spiritual mental reset to think about how I might focus my attention the next 10 to 15 years. And look, maybe it's this crazy grand vision, Morty, or maybe it's it's just something really simple like doing more art or creating more music. I'm not really attached to the outcome, but I'm definitely attached to the process of trying to clean the slate and get a, get a reset on my vision. I really respect that. And not being attached to the process feels like it's probably the thing I struggle with the most is like, you know, you build something and then you want people to come, right? You mean you create an incredible documentary, right? Food Matters, and you want people to watch it. And you created this, and not only has it been an impactful movie that's been well received, I mean, how many people have been impacted by that vision, by that vision and the, the execution of the vision? Well, I mean, we've tried to do some numbers internally, but I think people like Netflix don't report viewing numbers. They did very early on, but they pulled that. At one point, we had 635,000 ratings of the film just on Netflix alone. So if one in 10 people rated that 6.3 million views, but then we were translated into multiple language, broadcast in French-speaking countries, on cruise ships, on airlines, and that was just the first of five films. So we, we sort of anticipate we've probably reached at least north of 10, 10 million people, but more likely, you know, further than that but how deeply we've touched them i mean the internet's like a high-tech low-touch environment so right but yeah, lots of people I, and it's amazing you know i feel super humbled by that i want to take us back a bit because there seems to be like a thread here you had a really interesting career prior to food matters and creating this film where millions of people got to see and it sounds like you went on a limb right you used to work on as a, a navigating officer was it a navigating mm -hmm. officer on ships with some of the wealthiest people in the world. And at some point you're like, all right, I'm not going to do this anymore. Can you just take me back to that version of James? Because there seems to be like a thread here where you kind of do this thing where you have some sort of success and you're like, huh, what's happening here? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Actually, you know, I've never spoken about this publicly, but I have this, this common thread in my life. When things get too comfortable, I have this, this desire to blow it all up. And in, in like a really conscious, connected, happy way, like not so destructive, like I don't mean it like that, but I, I do mean, I, I think comfort is a trap. If you think about it, like you think, well, I, I, I fortunately being a navigator, so I, I did study to be a ship's captain when I was choosing my career, right? In year 10 and 11, before you finish high school, you go see this, this career advisor and they shape the destiny of your entire life. You know, it's this room and you walk in, <laughs> you walk in and you're like, oh my God, what's this person going to say? What am I going to be? A doctor, a nurse, an airline pilot. Oh my God. I knew what I didn't want to be. That was really clear. And it was really quite a sort of ego hit to my dad. I didn't want to do what my dad did. Poor guy. I think back on that. Maybe I should call him after this and say, sorry about that. He was an accountant and he sat in an office all day and he came home stressed and drinking and yelling out people's names and, and expletive words in his sleep. And I'm like, shit, I don't want to do that. Sounds stressful, you know? And it was stressful, you know? He would be handling big financial things. And it's funny that I'm quite heavily involved in the finance world now, but that's another story. <laughs> but he would handle these big stressful things and, and sit in an office all day. And I love surfing. I love nature. I love the ocean. I was quite a simple, fun-loving kid. I liked playing music and surfing were my two sort of key loves and just being 
a little bit of a rebel. That was sort of me. I was naturally good at school. I didn't find it challenging at all. But after explaining this to the career advisor and to my father, my father said, well, son, you know, I, I know somebody that earns a lot of money and they, they go work on the ocean. And I'm like, okay, this is perfect. You know, like so simple. What's that? And he like, they drive ships. And so I went and visited a ship and it was like overwhelming in terms of excitement. I'm like the size and the scale. It was like, whoa, this is amazing. Where do you go? Like Japan and Korea and the Middle East. It's like, whoa, okay, yes. So I, I went and studied this. And for three and a half years, I studied. And you do like three to six months at college, six days a week, like 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. contact hours, like a sandwich course. It's super intense. You're studying celestial navigation, uh, ship shipmasters ship in international law, you know, stability, all these crazy subjects that are completely useless outside this industry. And then you go to sea for three to six months straight on these ships. And my first ship I joined in Australia and spent 41 days going straight to uh, Saudi Arabia. And then after that, you know, to Singapore and then through the Suez Canal and to Europe. And this was like, I was 18 or 19. So it was just like, whoa, this is amazing. And spent sort of seven or eight years in that industry and built my way up. I was, I became a qualified officer and I'd worked on multiple ships and I was on like a high-speed passenger ferry between Australia and Tasmania or Melbourne and, and Tasmania. And it was like, I was 23. I had epaulets on, you know, the stripes on the shoulder. I was one of the youngest qualified ships officers on the Australian coast. I was being chauffeur driven in a black car to and from the airport. I was being paid a lot of money and I had six months paid leave. So I was doing 28 days on, 28 days off, paid. This was like <laughs> ultimate comfort. It was, it was a dream, right? And I was in port pretty much every day. And this vessel was like a starship enterprise. I mean, it was like amazing. It had glass little bits in the floor on the side where you could look down 10 stories to, you know, it was like just being like this amazing vehicle. And as that was happening, I started to just experience this comfort. And I was listening, I started listening to some personal development work with Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn, all these people. And they're like, you know, you got to keep growing and contributing. And it's like, oh my God, this is so intense. And I went and spoke to this captain and I said, look, I'm thinking about going overseas to work on the private yachts because these private billionaires were getting, building bigger and yachts and they required qualified officers like me. And he said, if you're thinking about it, do it. And I thought that was the best advice. I'd been given by anybody ever, right? If you're thinking about it, do it. If it Whoa. occupies your brain and you're just keep you're staying up at night and you're really racking it through, it's like if you're thinking about it, do it. And that was a massive call because I was giving up a lot of comfort and a lot of notoriety and a lot of people looking up to you. I had my shirts ironed every day, my cabin clean, or my food made. Like I said, it was like this for a 23 year old kid that was extreme. And so I quit. And Laurentine and I were together. We bought two one-way tickets to France. And that was like just this whole crazy journey. We got to France. And then the next three and a half, four years, I ended up working for two of the top 10 wealthiest people in the world. One was a, a king from a Middle Eastern country. And the other one was the co-founder of Microsoft, the, the one that's passed away. And one thing that hit me like square, boom, right in the middle of the my uh, my 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 third eye should i say that's a spiritual way of putting it was that like money doesn't make you happy and money doesn't make you healthy and like these people struggled with health conditions and they struggled with stress and overwhelm and they weren't particularly joyful and abundant and that was a for me it was a wake-up call everyone else wanted that life i mean everyone working on the yachts was just like wow this is amazing i mean they had submarines helicopters i mean private jets i mean these are the top of the top of the top of the top of the top i mean it's just 
exuberance 10x. And most of the people in the developed world are trying to be like these people. They're busting their asses. They're like working the nine to five. They're doing all this work to achieve that. And I saw the end goal and I'm like, whoa, these people own sports teams, countries, islands, like they're mixing with royalty and the elite. And they have some serious struggles that really lay people are struggling with as well. So I, I saw a sort of wealth as this, a little bit as this trap. And so I sort of knew that it was a powerful mechanism to be able to create change, um, but it was a little bit of a trap. So as I built up more comfort in that industry, yet again, there was this point where I was studying nutrition and reading about it and then started studying online with Laurentine and my dad was unwell. And then we watched this movie called The Secret, right? I think just about everybody uh, watched yeah, it. Yeah, we know, all we all fall into that trap at some point. <laughs> we, oh yeah, <laughs> I had a rock Everyone. in my I had a rock in my pocket for six months after watching that. Like I don't remember what it was for, but I think to remember to, to remind yourself to be grateful or something. Oh my god, I wrote a check too. I did the check thing. I wrote a check for how much money I wanted. Well, I think it's work, maybe working stuff. for you. You know. Well, it actually, funnily, <laughs> I was flying here. And I, I re reflect back on that check that I wrote and it did work out. So it's not. So, I mean, I can't say the secret doesn't work, but the way that it was presented was, was unique. And so I watched that and I was studying nutrition and my dad was unwell. And I was like, whoa, hang on. This is something's coming together here. This movie format is so powerful. People are like burning DVDs, if anyone can remember that, sharing them around the world. It did an online uh, like streaming launch. It wasn't free, but it was paid. And it was like whoa. And then I'm studying nutrition going, this is like powerful transformation information as well. So really, I mean, that was all coming together for me and Laurentine and I together. And then we just, I remember we were going from the Middle East to Monte Carlo and we were coming up the Red Sea and it was all comfort, dude. It was like nuts. I mean, we were just diving and like surfing and like living the high life and being paid tax-free money. Again, it was a full trap, right? And then partying in like the biggest outdoor clubs in Sharm El Sheikh and Egypt and just like, you know, and on a yacht where it's private owner, so he's hardly there. I mean, one time he was there three days in six months. This is wow. So it was a, a dream. And but it was this comfort thing again. It was coming on again. I was like, whoa, this is so comfortable. I love it so much. But there was this pull to something uncomfortable. And that was this going out on a limb. So we went to the, to the company and said, we're going to quit as soon as we get to Monte Carlo. And then just bought some film equipment, called up my cousin who was a gaffer, which I didn't even know what that was. He worked in the film industry and said, hey, we want to interview these people and make a film. And, and that, was, that, that was 2007. So this last part, before you decided to make the film, what was the moment that was like, oh, we're going to make a film to, we need to make this point? I think we, we didn't know that exactly straight away, to be honest. We just knew, and, and Tony Robbins teaches this idea of take massive action, you know, in the voice that he does. And I love Tony for all, all the people that love or hate him. I just think he's, he just, he's a master of understanding why people do what they do. And I think we should all master that. Like you said, if you're like, oh, I'm craving that. Why do you crave that? Is it your bacterial issue? Is it a, a conditioned past thing that you have? Is it, a, you know, whatever. So understanding human behavior is, is key. But he says, take massive action. And we love that idea. It was like, let's just start something, you know, let's fill people. We wanted to do like a multi DVD, like learning series, like the most boring idea in the history of the world. And so that we went the around initial, the world. That was the initial yeah. idea for Food yeah. Matters. 
Yeah. And we went around interviewing these people to do this like lecture. And then we were going to like tour it. And I was going to put on like a colored shirt and like show excerpts of these like interviews and then do a little talk and then go send people to the back of the room to buy like a DVD set. Right. Old school. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally like a Jim Ron, like, or like one, one of these like in 1970, you know, um, thought leaders. 100%. Um, inspirational, inspirational talks by the DVD. 100%. The yeah, go to the back of the room. Yeah, exactly. Like, I can't believe it. This, I lo- I'm so, so glad you laugh and I laugh at myself thinking about that. That's and amazing. This is the naivety, right? This is the naivety. But this is the thing that gets you far, I think, in life. You know, it's you and Laurentine scuba diving and clubbing and just having a great old time. And like, we're going to go sell, you know, inspirational DVDs in the back of a dark room. That's amazing. <laughs> Which is like just go to slop it around on the road, right? Like really tough it out. But we had we just knew that something was emerging. I think that if you take space to just do some work, whether it's yoga or study or meditation, you start to see the future. You start to see trends, you know. And and if you just get out of the system a little bit and read, like smart people do this. And like just take Bill Gates for he's get he's he's the poster child for like the Illuminati, all this sort of stuff. It's BS. The guy's just a reader and he knows the future. And I bought some of the books that he was reading and it laid out how a pandemic's going to happen, what happened with the Spanish flu, 50 years of trends. This guy, Vlaco Smil, this guy from, from I think East, East Europe or something, writes all these books and he's fully into that guy's work. I started reading it pre-COVID and then after COVID happened and everyone's blaming him. And I'm like, no, this guy's just the cap. He's just a, a, an investor type guy and he's investing in trends and he knew this was a trend. So I think people that take, I mean, let's not go down that rabbit hole, but I think people that take space to read or study or look at their, look after their body or, or just change up things and get a different perspective, start, you just start to see the world in a different way. And I think it's important to always do that. At this point, at this early stage, we're talking about in 2007, the DVD stage, stage one of Food, of food Matters. So are you then, are you doing that? Are you just giving space to see what emerged? You said you were giving space to see what emerged because you were listening to Tony Robbins. Were you reading to see the f- like what was unfolding and you weren't? Yeah. So when we we're on the yachts and people were going out like clubbing and we'd say, oh, and Laurentian and I used, used to joke at this, we'd say, no, we'll do like the, we'll stay on the ship for the night and study. We were like highlighting things about orthomolecular medicine, like using high dose nutrient therapy to treat disease or like reading Paul Zane Pilsner's, Pilsner, Pilsner's book on, on wellness, the next billion dollar industry and how the baby boomers are like sick and drugs don't work anymore. And then people are going to be getting into like natural, natural trends. This was before goji berries and nut milk was a thing. All the signs were there. And it wasn't as if we we're looking to profit off an industry. By no stretch of the imagination was that our intention. The intention was that my dad was sick I'd suffered with health conditions. There was all this information that was not available to people. And then there was the new emerging trend of how information was being shared, aka the secret and DVDs. And we're like putting this all together in our head and and just in a way studying something that we were passionate about and then asking the question about how can we turn this into something that A, helps the world and B, helps provide us with, with stored resources, aka capital to be able to make more of those same changes. So at what point does your dad get into the picture? Because I know your dad struggled with some health problems, with weight and some other things. So at what point are you still on the cruise ship and you're calling dad up and you're like, hey, here's what we found out in these books. So you got to listen to us. What's going on? So that was totally happening. And he was totally ignoring us because he's like, well, I've got my doctor and that's really sweet. You care about me, but you know, I'm going to follow the, the path. And that path was, was 
a pretty dark path for him. You know, he put on like, you know, 50 plus pounds. He was on six different medications. He was bedridden, you know, night sweats, panic attacks, being admitted to hospital with anxiety, thoughts about killing himself, like pretty serious identity crisis too, because he couldn't work and had to quit his job. And so it was really a dark time, you know, and Laurentine and I couldn't get through to him. So part of the other impetus of filming all these experts was to take this knowledge to him from these experts, not from us. And so we wanted to take this roadshow. Our first guest was my dad, you know, here's the interviews, here's the talk. Instead of going to the back of the room. Right. He's the first customer. Yeah. Instead of going to the back of the room and buy the DVDs, we were like, well, let's just do the transformation program on you. And after seeing the interviews, he got a totally different perspective on health. And I think here's the thing, Mordechai, if you think about it, education shifts your beliefs. Your beliefs shift your choices and your choices shift the outcome of your life. So if you believe that the medical profession is where you go for health and healing, and if they say take drugs, you take drugs, that education that you've been given from industry, scientific journals, just seeing people in white coats, how all the trappings of this like institutions, that gives you a belief. And the belief is, well, my body doesn't really know what to do, but doctors do. And then that belief changes your choices and your choices on a daily basis is, well, it doesn't really matter what I eat. I'm just going to take this drug because that, that'll fix me. And the outcome is you become like a drug zombie, right? You're not really healthy. You're not really dying. You're just sort of in this dying longer sort of phase, which is why in the West, we're like, oh my God, we've got such great longevity statistics, but great doctors will say we're living longer, but we're dying longer. So then we went and reprocessed that transformation sort of step thing with my dad and we rechanged his education. And the education that he got was from people like David Wolf and Charlotte Gerson and Jerome Byrne and, and, and Dr. Ian Brighthope and all these great people. And they were teaching him a new set of beliefs that your body has this incredible innate healing capacity and it can self-heal providing you give it the right environment and you look after it. And then that belief shifted his choices. So his choices used to be, I'll eat whatever I want and take six different medications to I'll wake up and cleanse my body with water and lime juice. I'll have some sprouts with a little bit of salt on them. And then I'll move over to like, you know, that was just different choices, right? And I'll choose sort of nutrients and vitamins over medications. And in a three-month period, after this sort of rejigging of his, his education and his belief systems, he was off all of his medications. He'd lost 50 pounds or 25 kilos just effortlessly. He was no longer fatigued or anxious or depressed. He was back to running sort of 10 kilometers or like maybe four or five miles, like three times a week, which he hadn't done for the past four or five years. So miraculous transformation. And it was really about shifting beliefs. And I think that that's why education became such an important thing for us. It was a bit longer after that, that we were in Sydney showing an editor and producer some of the interviews and said, could you help us make like this 12 part monolithic DVD series? And he said, mm, I think you've got a feature documentary on your hands here. And he became a dear friend and he's been on every film we've been on. And he's just an amazing editor and producer. And we, we, we cut him into the series as well. And the success of the films, because he, he was the first one to say, no guys, what this David Wolf guy is talking about and what this is controversial. It's big needs to be not relegated to a lecture series in, in country uh, New South Wales and Australia, you know, it needs to be. That's incredible. Bigger. It's incredible. He believed in you and it's incredible. You guys kept following through in it. You care so much about your dad that you wanted your dad to get the help that he needed that 
you, you know, you took like almost every action possible to make that a reality. How did you get your dad to, to, to change his beliefs though? He, I'm really interested in that particular part because changing someone's beliefs is maybe the hardest thing and the most important thing like you identified. I mean, in my life too, like I, you know, I never thought I was going to lose weight and keep it off until I, you know, you know, I read John Gabriel's book and I, I believe that he can do it. So can I. And, you know, it's like yeah. my belief changed after decades and decades of struggling. So I'm curious, like, you know, how did you get, you, you, did your dad just see David Wolf and some other experts and doctors and be like, okay, I get it. Or what process did you notice? Yeah, that's, a, I mean, that's a really great question. And I think I know more about how to answer that now than before, as more of my films have gone into transformation and, and personal development in, in a way. But there's this sort of two-step approach to changing or transformation or, or changing beliefs in, in that matter. And it's, it's, it's transformation through insight and transformation through, through pain. And I think it's the Satori method or something. And essentially, if people have enough pain, if things are bad enough, if you're overweight enough, if you've got like so much chronic illness, you're about to die or something, then people can change. And so, for some people, no. Some people that still doesn't work, but typically pain is a big motivator, whether it's a relationship loss or like a bankruptcy or a really significant health scare. Doesn't matter who you are. For most people, that'll get you to change, right? And there's still the sub, there's still some people that are so stubborn that they're just like, no, I'm not changing. You know, that's okay. That's just them. Right. But pain is often a big motivator. Then there's, so there's growth through pain and growth through insight. Now, growth through insight is when you get access to information or knowledge that you just it just sinks straight in. You're like, whoa, that is it forever and a day. I cannot believe in my old way of thinking anymore, right? And because you just receive some new information. So I think it was probably a combination of both for you and my dad. So he'd gotten to a point where there was enough pain. He wasn't getting better. The doctors were just saying, you know, we, we can't promise you anything here except just changing the cocktail of your medications and hoping that it works. And so there was pain there. And then he had these suicidal thoughts, which he'd never had before. And this was a really big shock for him. And he opened up about that. And we're all crying and like, whoa, that's heavy shit. You're thinking about taking your life. Like that's a new level of like darkness, you know, that was never, ever in our family. Then at the same time came the insight and the information. And we had research from Patrick Holford, a, a medical journal and an investigative journalist from the United Kingdom who writes for The Guardian and, and co-authored a book with a gentleman called Patrick Holford from the Institute for Optimal Nutrition, and Andrew Saul, PhD, editor-in-chief of the Ortho Molecular Medicine News Service in, in, in the US, saying that Prozac, who made one of the drugs that my dad was on, denied that the drug called suicidal side effects. But when they went and had to renew the patent application, they have to sort of tinker with the molecular structure and change the drug in some way in order to expand its, its patent life. And in doing so, they have to say any improvements that they've made on the medication. And when they did that, they said, oh, it won't cause the suicidal effects that the previous drug caused, admitting. Oh, my. That, yeah, dude, seriously. Wow. So this is the stuff that happened. And so when my dad got that knowledge, his sort of faith in the medical profession just shattered. So I think ed education and information delivered in the right way has an ability to just shatter old belief systems. And that was, there was the pain and then the education. And then that just created this poof, okay. I'm ready to change. This is going to be instant and it's going to stick. And it's stuck. I mean, the guy, the guy, dad, we do awkward long hugs. We do awkward long hugs now. He's enchanting in meditation groups. You know, he, he's into like, oh my God, I did this past life regression the other day. This is an accountant 
Morty, right? He's into like, you know, just music now. He's playing music and going to sanghas and hanging out with these spiritual friends. And like, this is a guy that still wears polo shirts and drives BMWs and like, and like sailing, right? Like this is your, your a, a, you know, atypical sort of person in the West. But by eating well and transforming his life, he's completely transformed every other element of his life. And it's been radical and deep and lasting. And I think it was pain and insight, boom, come together. Yeah, pain and insight. It's, it's the thing that I, I wonder, like, is there a way to, you know, manufacture that pain so not everyone needs to go through it and hit that rock bottom? Because <laughs> when you started saying that, I thought this sounded like some crazy experiment. We're going to like tie people up and like electrocute them. <laughs> oh, like, how do you, how you can, it's got to be a way that people can experience that pain without going, does everyone need to go through the pain and hit a rock bottom and be, and, and have suicidal thoughts and be so depressed or so overweight or so, un, so unhealthy or get that notice from the doctor that if you don't shape up, you know, it's going to be too late. Like, does that everyone need to get that? Because if that's the case, we're, as a society, we're in big trouble because majority of people today are struggling with symptoms from being overweight, diabetes. I mean, you know, the stuff, it's all, it's all in the documentaries that you've done. So it's like, it, to me, it just, that's why I, I do the, the podcast and the interviews because education is the thing that I was missing too. Like I was being sold the same diets that everyone was being, I was going on the diets, losing the weight and gaining it back and trying another diet. And then I found out recently, actually, that some of these diet companies are owned by food manufacturers. The same companies that are making the food and getting us fat are the same companies that are getting us on diets and selling yeah. us diets. This, it's just, it's a vicious, terrible cycle of, and, and, and it's so wide and affecting so many people that it's like, we're, you know, if everyone needs to go through that, it's just a scary reality. Yeah, and and look, I I don't know the answer to that question, Morty. To be honest, I definitely understand yeah, what you you're did. saying. I guess if you did, like, I mean, that would be that would, yeah. that would be very, <laughs> you know, really really rare. We need a crystal ball, right? Yeah, but I think I think pain and suffering has a purpose, you know. And I've been gifted a, a mantra, should I say, or a spiritual philosophy on life by a gentleman that was gifted it by his teacher, guru. And it is this, and it fits on the five fingers of your hand, and it's guided me so deeply and so profoundly over the years. And it's this, everything is, well, not is, but that doesn't count as a finger, right? But everything is absolutely always unfolding perfectly. And I think that when we're stuck in our attachment to outcome mind, where things are good or bad, right? I'm wealthy or I'm poor, I'm healthy or I'm sick or whatever. But if you start to see the world as everything is perfect, then you get your notebook out or your, or, or this inquisitive childlike mind. And you're like, oh, how interesting. What can I learn from this? Right? So if you're sick, you're like, wow, how fascinating. What can I learn? Oh, I can learn about getting healthy. Isn't that cool? Or if you go through a relationship breakup, you can be like, wow, I can learn about my attachment wounds. How fascinating. You know? Or if you go through you know, deep love and connection, you can be like, wow, I can learn about how I can change my reality at a moment through changing the biochemistry of my body into a space of more love and compassion. Because if you've got a shitty job and a shitty life and you fall in love, in 24 hours, everything's better. Everything. You know? And if you've got everything and your partner leaves you or cheats on you or something happens, everything's like horrible, right? So we live in this complete mental neurosis called life, but we enslave ourselves to it because we have poor beliefs about life. And, you know, great spiritual teachers like Michael Beckwith or the people of the city yoga lineage or these great sages and, and people of the East. And, and of course, there's been some controversy around some of them. But I mean, take it back to even Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, you know, 2,200 year old text. It's like the world and people 
the world just is and people just are. That's it. And then it's up to you how to react or respond. And if you're constantly reacting and responding, then you're putting yourself into a mental neurosis. Like, And if you are doing that to yourself, you're putting yourself in a mental neurosis. So I think my dad got to the point where he's like, wow, I'm sick. Okay, interesting. What's it teaching me? And after he adopted that approach and he got his notebook out, he was like, wow, it's teaching me to slow down. It's teaching me that the career I was doing, which was helping like, you know, white, wealthy, middle-class people that are going through divorce, basically get all the assets off their, you know, poor wife or like cheating people out of pay- making people pay less tax or whatever it might be. It was like, that was not fitting with him anymore. He was more like a sailing musician type person. And he was in this industry because that's what he was told to do, you know, and he went and did it. And I think that everything has a purpose, right? Every illness has a purpose. You know, you've studied this. I've definitely interviewed so many people that have gone through chronic illness and they're now sitting going, wow, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing. Look at you. You wouldn't change. I'm hypothesizing. No, now, of course, right. I we mean, can, you're right. I mean, you're, I you mean, wouldn't you're, be here, right? I wouldn't be doing, doing that. I wouldn't be talking. Would, I wouldn't have met you. We, you know, I'm yep. developing this friendship. I mean, it's, you know, you're, you're right. I mean, these, the lessons that I've learned, and now I get to share this and help other people that are struggling with their weight and I feel lost and confused and, and it gets to help me, you know, on my journey. I feel like there's, yeah, it's, and there's endless gifts in the, in the struggle. And I think realizing that is definitely helpful on the, in, in, in when you're in the thick of it and stuck and you feel like there's, there's not a lot of hope. Mm. And it's, that's the hardest time to realize this, but if you have a mantra, like everything is absolutely always unfolding perfectly. And these are mantras, these ideas, these philosophies for life are not new. Like these are multi-thousand-year-old ideas about coping with life, you know? So I think it's interesting to think about that and to use these ideas. So when you're struggling to think, oh, wait, what is perfect about this? How can I find meaning in this? You know, that's a great question to ask, you know, as opposed to why me? I love that. I want to talk just for a few minutes about what you're working on now with Laurentine. I know you have some projects that you guys are working on in Vanuatu. Vanuatu. And I'm really curious, like, you know, you got the, got the certification program, you, you guys are building a nature school out for you and the mm-hmm. community. So, yeah, thank you. Um, Morty, it's funny, like, when you say that, like, I'm, I'm here taking more space in my life, but I've never had more on. <laughs> you know, it's this weird, you know, duality, you know, it's like, I'm trying to really pare it back and just simplify my life. But actually, it's interesting that, that we've got a lot on, you know. Uh, right now, we're working with like five nonprofits, two or three projects we're running directly. One is the nature school we're building in Vanuatu. Another one is we're working uh, with my parents on a, um, a, a reusable uh, sanitary pad for women in Fiji called Earth Sisters. And that's uh, to help uh, women stay in school. My sister was adopted from Fiji. So we've got a connection with that country. There's two nonprofits I'm involved with here now, uh, financially and time-wise. One is Bali Street Mums. You know, with the pandemic, you know, there's mums putting their kids on the street for like 10 hours a day begging, uh, five or six days a week, some as young as two. And so there's a beautiful woman here helping like bring the kids and the mums in and giving them new opportunities to make money. Like I'm using a glass right here now. They're taking recycled glasses or bottles out of like a, a dump and, and, and shaping them and selling them to restaurants and, and candle makers. Then there's a community garden project here to train people how to do permaculture and sustainable regenerative agricultural practices. And they're creating surplus food and giving that back to the community. And there was one other project 
it escapes me. Certification project. Oh yeah. Then from a business perspective, yes, we're doing a certification program now, which is nutrition certification. So we're moving more into higher and more detailed, more deep dive nutrition training to create more people like I was, I guess, seven years ago that can go out and make change either just in their community doing cooking classes or making films or doing books. I realized that I'm not an island, you know, there's a capacity limit that I have. And if I can help train more people with the knowledge that I've been gifted through all the experts I've worked with, then they can go and create more change and it just creates a positive effect. So that's a sort of a bigger project we're working on. Then we've got a new film that's just finished in production, which is our fifth project. It's a three-part series, uh, which is the exclusive life story of John Robbins, which is just create a Z. And I think I'd known about John's story for so many years. It was one of the first books I gave my mom and dad, Diet for a New America. But what he opened up to me about and what he shared with me, he's public, he said to me, he's never shared this with people before. And this is coming out in the film and it's crazy. So we're currently pitching a big, big studios. So that's super exciting. That's coming out. Then I'm intimately involved with with Gaia because you know with FMTV, our, our streaming channel, we we sort of we merged we did merge that together with Gaia, and I've taken a seat on the board, which is a humbling and incredible uh, experience to be sitting alongside just captains of industry that are into consciousness transformation and helping sort of support and guide the direction of that that company as it becomes like a, you know the premier platform for sort of shifting consciousness on on planet Earth. I, I believe. And so they're definitely in the halls of power in terms of like NASDAQ listed and with esteemed board members from, you know, the founder of Marvel Studios to like the CEO of Vimeo to like, you know, all these crazy people that used to be an MTV or video hits, and like these big companies in, in America that are like sort of guiding and directing content around health, nutrition, consciousness, meditation, yoga, and lifting the veil on, on a lot of things that don't really get spoken about. I think is really important so that that I'm, I'm intimately involved with and and now sort of taking some space personally to to um we're doing a book as well which is currently being written with with hay house we've just got that that's going to be coming out uh soon but really my personal mission right now is to try to relook at what the next 10 to 15 years if we predicted goji berries and spirulina and raw cacao not to say that that it was us predicting and it was all the people that we got to interview. What's the next big thing in the next 10 to 15 years? And I don't mean that from being like, oh, how can I understand what trends are happening so that I can you know, build ideas and concepts around it? No, because I think that it gives us a clue as to where we're headed as a species. And I think the big thing we're moving towards now is more an energetic understanding of our being. And you mm-hmm. think about, okay, what are the trends that are moving what are the trends that I'm seeing that are like super early stage that identify that? Well, one is meditation's a, a massive hit right now. Why? Because it's an acknowledgement that we're not just a sack of meat, you know, that we are energy and that we need to focus on the mind-body connection. So that's huge. The other thing is there's so much research coming out now that science and quantum physics is proving that you change your thoughts, you can change your body, you can heal your body, not even change what you eat. You know, so whoa, you know, there's so many, so much of that just starting to filter through. And I'm seeing that from the people I'm working with, from Dispenza to Lipton to Nassim Haramine to like, et cetera. And it's like, okay, I get it. That's the future, right? So I think that's a massive trend. Then overlapping that with ancient knowledge of like indigenous people and yogic studies, which is more energetic based practices. Then you have plant medicine, which is a huge trend taking place. I mean, you look at the legalization of cannabis in the US, you look at psilocybin, 
uh, decriminalization in many places in the US. You look at ayahuasca in terms of its in increase in popularity. These are just things that tap you into that energetic realm more, right? So you've got meditation, you've got plants coming together. And I think that there's a huge trend towards the more energetic states of being. Whereas in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and then it came to fruition more recently, there was these trends in like organics and naturals and goji berries and superfoods and detoxification. I think that's going to stay with us, but we're going to elevate that to more discussions around consciousness. And it will start to overlap with religion too. We'll be like, oh my God, that's why we had religion. We're chanting in the incense and all this. It wasn't about the dogma or the pedophilia sort of leader of that division of that freaking church or whatever. It was actually about their founding intention, which was like, how do we create spaces or within ourselves? Because we're ultimately the temple. And how do we create a heightened state of conscious awareness? Because all religions pointed to that, you know, or the spiritual underpinning of all religions pointed to that. Is how do we tap more into that energetic essence of our being? Because we're made up of the same stuff as a tree, right? No different. It's just that we have a more complex energetic structure that underpins us. And so if we are these crazy energetic vehicles that have the ability to observe our own thoughts and consciousness, whoa, we are this crazy, unbelievable mechanism and vehicle. So how do we acknowledge and pay homage to that deeper, more powerful energetic element of our being? And I think that biohacking, ice baths, cryotherapies, you know, hyperbaric oxygen, DMT, ayahuasca, psilocybin, cannabis, meditation, chanting, breath holds, kumbhaka, asana, movement, all this stuff is, you know, and, and is going to be coming really big as we start to piece it all together. And then the Christians and the Muslims are going to be like, oh my God, it doesn't matter. It's the same. We both do fasting rituals. We both like do a little bit of us and we both have incense. We both do this. And then it's going to start to create this whole What's, unification what? movement. Then we're going to save the planet. This is what's going to happen, Morty. This is what's going to happen. I, I, we're I, not I, going I to mean, go to Mars. We're going to be safe. It's okay. <laughs> dude. It's okay. Chill out, everybody. The thing that comes to me here is the idea that you have this inner knowing. And I remember this from our conversation back in um, Arizona. Um, you have this inner knowing where you have you, you have a deep relationship with your intuition and it's guided you into some really great places. And it feels to me like all the things you're working on is helping other people cultivate their own intuitions because we all have the same hardware. We all have an intuition. We all have a you know, consciousness. We all have the same hardware. And it's our development of that hardware that makes us into the superhuman that we can be. And mm -hmm. what you're doing is, and you do this with your films, is to show people how they can do it themselves. Like, you know, like build it yourself at your house. It's like the Ikea furniture. You help, help people build it themselves. And you're basically doing that with consciousness and energy. And it's the biggest gift in the world. Well, when you say it like that, it makes me think, I mean, that's a really interesting observation. In a way, yeah, I, I mean, I've worked for a number of years to develop my sixth sense, let's call it that, right? This, this intuitive sense. And that's super interesting, the way that you put it like that. I like that. Yeah. And that's I think beautiful. we all have that capability, right? right? We do. We're yeah. all intuitive. 
And that means we have the capability to tap into this, this higher knowing. For everyone has a, everyone has the same exact thing. And I think what, how many layers of the onion do you, do, do each of us need to peel in order to get access to those? You know, it's like, I always imagine it's like playing Super Mario, you know, a Game Boy game back in the day. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, you unlock, you unlock things as you pass certain levels and you get to unlock different doors and you find different keys. Yes. It's, yes. I mean, this is, this is, this is that, and th- th- that's, what, that's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's really inspiring to watch you as you navigate this um, and create this for so many people. And I just want people to know, and you, brother, friend, that I'm a student. I'm not an expert. I am just a humble person with a notebook taking notes on life. And I think it's a fascinating journey and I'm learning so, so, so much. I mean, I'm studying like traditional tantric Hatha-based yoga, which has nothing to do with sex, by the way. Tantra was a spiritual philosophy built out of Kashmir in in North India. It's really because most yoga was built for renunciants, people that gave everything away, put a loincloth off and went into the hills. And that's most yoga that people are practicing today was built for renunciants. And it, it's, but it, even the yoga that people are practicing is just one small slither of that. The tantric path, which is not to do with sex, was actually uh, the householder's path. It was for people that have businesses, lives, relationships that are going good and bad, weight issues, everything. So this spiritual practice was built for that or traditional Hatha yoga or lineage-based Hatha yoga or tantra-based Hatha yoga or Kundalini yoga fits into that and Buddhism in a way out of, born out of that same philosophy. And that teaches you to become your own intuitive genius. And I'm finding that all the great personal development teachers of our time from Dispenza to Wayne Dwyer to Louise Hay, all leverage off this one ancient sort of source of knowledge, which is I'm trying to go back to the source. I'm like, you know, where are the footnotes from Dwyer's book on like, where, where's like the source notes? You know what I mean? And like, I'm, they don't really have it because they're saying, look, this is just intuitive wisdom I've received. And that's also true. You know, people can receive intuitive insight about how the world works or their body works or something, but I'm tracing it back. And these ancient teachings, these sort of lineage-based, you know, oral transmission teachings and, and, and written teachings are fully documented all of this, you know, Patanjali documented it all in his yoga sutras and before that in these, in these ancient texts in the Bhagavad Gita, if you can really have it translated and understood for you. So I think that the keys for how to move forward as a species individually and as a group lie in a combination of understanding, you know, deep metaphysical sort of spiritual concepts about life written much before our time, long before our time and unadulterated by, by power and greed structures. And then also looking at our modern landscape, like, okay, we need to decentralize the internet because there's censorship happening. Okay. We need to make new ways for monetary exchange because the banks are just egregious and profiting off us. Okay. We need to change the xyz right so like looking at the modern landscape of what's happening we need to stop polluting the world okay that makes sense we need to stop using plastic we need to eat more pure foods we need to stop pouring chemicals into the earth we need to stop all those things everyone knows that already but there's just no real solution to that just yet and then the the things that we struggle with internally like weight gain or stress or anxiety or like getting what we want not getting what we want a lot of that's been mapped out a long time ago. So I'm really just bringing that together for, my, for myself and then maybe in, in, in a way passing that on to more people so that it can continue to be passed on. Love that, man. It's inspiring. Yeah, like I said before, it's inspiring to watch you execute this vision that you have, the grand vision in your mind. I know we're coming up on time here. I want to wrap up with two questions that I have for you. So I know you're a, you're a big advocate for juicing. I know you love to juice. 
So I just would love to, and, and uh, green juice, you know, green juice, it's like, me, it's like medicine, it's gold, it's, it's everything for your body. Tell us your favorite juice, how you make it, what do you put inside of it, and how do you feel? Okay. Look, my, <laughs> yeah, that's great. My, my favorite juice in Vanuatu was a little different because I didn't have access to celery. That didn't really exist in Vanuatu, which is typically the base of most of my juices. So I'll give you my favorite juice in more developed countries where you have access to this herb called celery. So it would be celery, cucumber, lime, and let me think here. I look, I always change my recipes, but I'll do celery, cucumber, lime, and or lemon, then ginger and or turmeric as well. So basically I'm just trying to eat medicine, right? Because celery is, is a type of medicine. It's a herb. Lemon and lime are really powerful. They're like breakdown mucus. I mean, the, the citric acids are really powerful, high in vitamin C, really good for stimulating digestion powerful for weight loss too. There's studies on just lemon juice and water for weight loss. Then ginger and turmeric, I mean, anti-inflammatory powerhouses. It's like medicine, seriously. So that gets me going. And I don't really put too much sweetness in it because I'm just happy to drink it as is. You know, if you can't handle that, add a little bit of pear or a little bit of apple, but I just think juicing too much fruits can be a bit of a bit of a trap. I'd probably go more citrus, if anything, that tends to add a sense of sweetness. So that's that. And then in Vanuatu, my favorite juice, was pumplemousse, which is like a pomelo, I think you say in the US, like those giant oversized grapefruits that are the size mm. of a head. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd juice a white one of them, which is quite low sugar. Then I'd put the huge uh, cucumber, the cucumbers in, in Vanuatu are like dinosaurs. I mean, they're just crazy. <laughs> so I'd put, I'd put a big cucumber in there. So I'd do a, pump, a pumplemousse cucumber, then turmeric, ginger, and lime. Again, so my themes are low sugar vibe, lots of medicine, and you're just basically putting a liquid supplement into your body. I, I love juicing because it bypasses your digestive system. If you've got gut issues or digestive issues, which is probably the most common complaint we get in our community, then when you drink juice, it basically just sort of seeps straight into your or bloodstream a lot more effectively and can bypass a lot of digestive process. So as Jason Vale says, you know, pretty famous juicing guy, he's like, juicing is the 15 minute nutrient expressed to health. And I, awesome. I think it, I think it is, it's powerful technology, but it's still a processing thing. And I think we should use it as a technology, but then ultimately when we get really healthy, we should just eat food from nature, straight from trees, but that's another right, with, the fi- with the fiber and everything else. Yeah. hundred percent. But it's a, it's like a technology. It's like one great doctor said to me, you should use drugs like a crutch, use them for a little bit and then get rid of it. You use a crutch when you've got a broken leg. Once it gets better, get rid of it. Juicing, I use a lot, but ultimately, if I'm living in a pure environment with no toxins and no stress, I'm barefoot, out of nature, I'm eating my foods, you know. Mm. But most often, I'm traveling. I don't always have access to good foods. I might have some skin issues or some complaints or something because of that. I've got a little bit of stress or whatever. So I use juicing as like a medicine. But really, the ultimate goal is to just be nature. And nature is walk to a tree, pick a papaya open it up, eat it with a little bit of the seeds because it helps with like worms and flukes and parasites when you're in a developing country. So, you know, that's the ultimate goal is to pair it right back. But and it's it, unachievable. So that's, that's your stepping stone. Yeah. And if you're in a big city, I guess, you know, and you can't, you know, cut a papaya off a tree, you have to, you'll have to get a green juice. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, for $8. But, for $8. Or $8 actually. $8 is cheap these days for a green juice Jeez. in New York. <laughs> Come to Bali. Um, try 20 bucks at Bali, right? There you go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So um, um, I have one last question, but I'm going to add one more in. 
What is the book that you've given the most as a gift and why? Oh, that is a great question. There's been a few. I'm, I love gifting books. Can I, can I name three? Because okay. I've gifted them multiple times. Okay, the first one would be The Four Agreements. It's like a spiritual type book on like Toltec things. But the second agreement is by far the most important, which is like, don't take anything personally. Oh my God. Far out. Oh, deep. Yeah, I love that. I love that book. <laughs> People do shit for their own reasons. Exactly. Just don't take it first. They're right. So that that I mean, four agreements is a big one. The other one would 100% be Man's Search for Meaning, uh, mm. Victor Frankel. Just, oh my goodness, what a treatise on life, right? No matter what the circumstances, see the great in everything. Oh, and you will survive, right? And you will thrive in, in any environment. And I think that we forget this. Humans always forget this message. It's been laid out for us. It's been done before. That is, that's next level. I'll probably stop there. They're my most recommended. They're the ones I've most gifted. There's plenty of others that I've read. I'm, I'm a reasonably vicarious reader. I go through phases. I'm in a phase of reading right now. And there's a lot that I could tell you that I love that I'm reading right now, but I'll just be sending people down a, down a journey. I think those are the two solid recommendations. Cool. Yeah, yep. two th- uh, so the last question for you is, so yep. what is one area where you are feeling exceptionally full in right now? I feel exceptionally full in... Well, I, I, I would rephrase it to I'm feeling quite full because exceptional would mean that there is less room for growth. So I want to be careful. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's reframe that. <laughs> I'm feeling quite full in my capability to tap into the non-mechanical elements of being. So I feel more connected to the spirit energetic realm now. I feel like I'm manifesting more things. I feel like I'm more connected to the spirit realm. I feel I'm more connected to my intuition and it's each day I'm getting reminded this. I had this vision of what I wanted to tell this gentleman here, who's my yoga teacher. And in a cl- and I hadn't found the space yet. In a class, he started telling his students about what he's changing. I was like, oh my god, that's what I already thought about. Then you know, there's so many things that just come up in life. But I think it's because I'm spending more time in meditative state and paying attention to the non-physical parts of the world. When we get stuck in ego space, material time, we only see that. And when you get a little bit more tapped into the energetic frequencies of the world through different practices, meditation, breath work, or, or other, other, other way, or cleansing or fasting, then you start to see things like synchronicities, signs, and things that are typically labeled as esoteric or airy fairy or weird become normal. And you can understand that actually this can be a more, this is an actual very real state of being that can be accessed. And I think that people would like to access that. And it's, it's incredible to feel somewhat that I'm opening to that and wow. that there's more to go. So that, that's exciting. I feel that. That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm so happy for where you're at. I mean, you're glowing. You're, you're, you're vibrant as, as always, but you're just really glowing. I mean, everyone can't see, but I can see. And it's just a, it's a real pleasure to see you in this state. And I'm really excited for all the things you got cooking because I, I know how you vision things and manifest things. And yeah, I'm really excited for the documentary and all the programs that you have that people are going to be able to find out about and um, benefit from and enhance their own lives. So it's profound. And I love this conversation. I love talking to you. And yeah, man, I'm really inspired by you, brother. Thank you, dude. I'm humbled by that, obviously, but I'm just a, a humble servant of the divine, really. I work for God. I work for this greater energetic energy that connects us all, and I feel a really close connection to you, and I'm so grateful to know you. 
and the transformation that you've been through and the work that you've done and that you've been in the trenches of life doing like big business and crazy deals and then dealing with your body. I mean, when you go through a lot of stuff, you, you know how good life can feel when you get through the other side. So I think it's amazing the work you're doing. And I really pray and hope and send you a lot of energy that you can keep liberating people from suffering and that together, you know, you know, maybe we can make a small impact on the world. I think it's just where it's just a super exciting place to be. So thank you for what you do as well. It's amazing. Oh, brother. Thank you. Appreciate the kind words. I guess that will be it. We're going to wrap it up. That's it for us today, friends. Thanks for listening. If you want to keep in touch, subscribe to my weekly emails at feelingfull.com, where I unpack what I'm learning about weight loss and share ways we can all live healthier, more fulfilling lives. Do you know someone who's struggling right now? If they can use some support, feel free to share this episode with them. And if you have a moment to rate and review, that really helps grow the show. Take care, be well, and feel full.